On the Payless Liquors Hotline, you know him from ISC Sports Network and uh, more notably this time of year, perhaps I shouldn't say more notably, but in terms of applicability towards this radio station on the Colts Radio Network postgame show, Greg Rakestraw joins us. And Greg, um, I'm going to be brutally honest, man. I know people love watching the games. It's that time of year where, you know, the NFL comes to mind because it's snowy and cold and blustery and usually at least. Um, But what's the storyline for this Giants game? You tell me. There's not much of a storyline for the Colts. Plenty of storylines for the Giants. Um, but obviously the impact of this game is the draft pick, and that's it. Um, you know, Just because just playoffs obviously have been gone mathematically now for a week. And our eyeballs for the last five or six weeks, given how this team has played, um, you, know, it's, it, you almost want to hit the fast-forward button to the end of the season, knowing that it's about the – monumental decisions about front office and head coach and players and quarterback and offensive line, et cetera. So your point is well made. Um, You're watching this game as a Colts fan out of habit, uh, out of passion for your team, not because there's going to be some great development that comes between one and four o'clock on Sunday afternoon. But Greg, to me, the thing, and I talked about this earlier, I want your, your thoughts on it. Maybe Jim Irsay knew something we did not. I mean, that's probably – I think that's obvious. He's the owner of the team, so he would have a better feel. But I go back to 3-3-1. Seven weeks in, at that point when they basically jerked the wheel to the right and put in Sam Ellinger. I say jerked the wheel not because it was like a disastrous move as much as just completely unforeseen – so Sam Ellinger comes in, you drop two in a row, you go to 3-5-1 and one at that point, you fire Frank Reich, and now all of a sudden your season is in peril. But I watched a team last night in Tennessee that was able to rest all of their starters because it didn't impact the fact they were still going to play essentially in the AFC South Championship game with a sub-500 mark. Did the Colts make a tactical error and make the decision for a change too early? Hindsight's twenty twenty, uh, and, and you can certainly say that. I, I wouldn't say it was unforeseen. I was still surprised when it happened, when they made the move to go to Ryan straight past Foles and then on to Sam Ellinger. But let's not paint the picture as Matt Ryan was fantastic. Totally agree, but for weeks. Sam Ellinger, yeah. Sam Ellinger, Greg, damn near didn't make the roster. I mean, let's be honest. Like, And I know that we knew that he was going to, but I mean, it wasn't like he, you know, it wasn't like, hey, this guy's the bad. I mean, to go from him right to Ellinger, if you'd gone to Foles and then to Ellinger, that's one thing, but you get what I'm saying, right? It was a, I agree, Matt Ryan was as stagnant as can be and was stuck in cement, but that was a seismic change to go from Ryan to Ellinger, who had never taken a snap. Absolutely it was, no doubt about that. And yes, looking back on it, if you had stayed the course with Matt Ryan, maybe we're talking about the Colts in a similar situation playing for division championship. Maybe we're talking about Frank Reich being the head coach of of the football team. Because again, let's go back to the two games that Sam played. He wasn't the reason they lost the Commanders game. That, That one wasn't on him. It's a big part of the reason why they lost the Patriots game. And that was kind of the game that we saw coming in terms of an ugly performance, you know, rookie quarterbacks on their second start tend not to fare well on the road at Bill Belichick coach teams. So 
So, yes, when you look in the rearview mirror at 2022, as we often do this time of year, you can wonder what might have been. But at the same time, I just don't think this group was very good in the first place. So, Greg, why the reluctance to not go back to Sam, El- Sam Ellinger at this point? Why not see what you got? Because I don't think I, Matt Ryan or, or Nick Foles are the future on this team. But is, are they worried that he might actually get them a win at this point and they're just trying to get the draft pick? W- what do you think? I have no idea. I don't think it's about a draft pick. I really don't. I just, I just don't think that's how this group operates. I've been saying this for the last two or three weeks. Once you got to the bye, once you knew you were not going to be a playoff team, to me there was very little point in playing Matt Ryan or Nick Foles. You should play Ellinger just to get a better snapshot as to what you have going into the offseason. Now, maybe at this point it's irrelevant just because you know, you, you've kind of gone the last two weeks – not going in that direction, and you are likely in draft pick territory now where you can take a quarterback in the first round, and whatever talents Ellinger has or does not have might be largely irrelevant for this franchise going forward because you are probably taking a quarterback in the first round. I hope you are taking a quarterback in the first round. But in terms of a logical explanation as to why it's not been Ellinger the last couple of weeks, Mark, I got nothing for you. But Maybe you know, they Greg, just really liked what they saw at Nick Foles on Monday night and said, we need two more games of that, please. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know who liked what they saw from Nick Foles on Monday night? The Los Angeles Chargers. That's they right. really liked what they saw from Nick Foles on Monday night. Nick Foles looked to me like a guy that was like, look, man – he he's like Marshawn Lynch like I'm just here so I don't get fined you know what I mean like I, I signed here to play for Frank Reich and it's cool but like let me just write that out I mean I'm not trying to disparage Nick Foles professionalism he went out and played but it, it I don't know I mean I think everybody knows at this point it's just kind of filling out the schedule but my question becomes this Greg and I realize that you Greg Rakestraw probably you know we are simply prognosticating at this point but do you believe that if there, if Chris Ballard doesn't believe that a franchise quarterback exists at the spot when they are drafting, will they pull a Cleveland Browns? Um, uh, who's a kid out of Oklahoma State that Cleveland drafted that was twenty six years old? Uh, that would be Brandon, Brandon Whedon, Whedon, correct? Yeah. So when Cleveland drafted Brandon Whedon, you know, after the fact, it was like, well, the clock was running down, and we needed a quarterback, and we kind of just knee jerked, and it was like we took him because he was on the board and he was a quarterback. Would the Colts do that to take a quarterback just for the sake of taking one, or are they only going to draft one that high if, in fact, they feel it is a franchise player? I think I think it is the latter. But again, given the fact that the Colts are now sitting at five and the general thought is there are three or four pretty solid quarterbacks that are going to be available in say the top seven or eight picks i think there's enough of a cushion there because again let's face it um signs are not like promising uh against the giants and giants aren't a great team but the giants have gotten the most out of their talent during the course of the season they have found ways to win close games which obviously the colts have not done over the course of, of the last couple of months um and then you have the texans game which, you know, who knows how that could go uh, at, at this point in time, uh, even though they are clearly the worst team in the National Football League. So I think discussion is largely moot. I think you're going to get a quarterback at the spot that they are at um, that, that can help this team going forward. But at the same time, no, I don't think they'll force the issue. Just take a quarterback from a PR standpoint. Okay, better option for the Colts next year based on the personnel that you've been able to see this year um, and the talent or the depth of their roster 
better option. Drafting, say, a Will Levis and taking your chances that you can develop him over the next two or three years or bypassing on Will Will Levis, signing a Derek Carr-type player, I know that would have to be a trade, and then drafting a generational left tackle to protect him. I wouldn't be opposed to the latter. I think the fan base would riot if that's the way that it goes. I would agree. I think so, too. Um, And and again, the analogy, uh, since you and I, Jake, are king of the analogies, um, when it comes to the last three or four years, again, I don't fault the logic of the way the Colts handle the quarterback position. I understand going for the veteran, going for the best available trade or free agent that you could, knowing the pieces that you've got around you, thinking, hey, we just got to be good at the quarterback position. You don't have to be great because of the other talent around you. Well, that may not be the case anymore, given the fact you're a four-win football team 15 games in. Um, it, it is time for a reset. I do think it can be turned quickly here because of some of the foundational pieces that they have in place. But still, you, you got to stop patching the tire. The tire has blown at this point. you got to go and get a new one. Uh, and so – from the Colts' perspective, it's time to have a guy that you can build around the quarterback position, not a guy you are simply trying to plug in and hope he fits. And, Greg, I've wondered this. So you tell me your thoughts on it. Greg Rakestraw is our guest on the Payless Lickers Hotline. The question of going with Nick Foles down the stretch as opposed to Ellinger, I've wondered if that's not perhaps because they still have some areas offensively that they want to assess and evaluate, and they need to see how some members of the offense respond to a guy who has experience and has timing and and can read defenses, and it gives them a better assessment of what weapons they have for the next quarterback as opposed to evaluating it with a rookie that is kind of learning on the fly, if you will. Does that make sense? The only guy that I can think of that would be applicable to would be Bernard Ryman. Just because you've got Michael Pittman, did you know what he is? Alec Pierce? Uh, yeah, but but Alex Alex's coming back next year. You know, I mean, Alex's going to be here for the next three or four years. Uh, you know, he's been he's been good, not great, but he's shown you some flashes. Again, the guys, and, and I've been saying this for the last month, not as Ellinger I want to see. I want to see more of Nick Cross. I, w- I want to see more of, of, of Mike Strawn. I know he missed a game because of a concussion. I want to see more of Desmond Patman. You know, the guys that you're like, hey, they've been around for a couple, three years, but we haven't seen much of these guys. Can they be guys that can contribute uh, on a, uh, in a regular season you know, scenario in the National Football League? We haven't seen them. So if you were seeing more of the young guys on offense, yeah, maybe. Um, the running back spot, you know, Zach Moss is under contract for next year. Uh, Deion Jackson under contract for next year. You know, your Jonathan Taylor is going to be your lead back next year, except the running back position. Um, you kind of have an idea what your tight end room is going to look like, you know, next year in terms of the young guys. And I would love to see them feature Jelani Woods more. If three catches last week looked good, he needs to get the ball more his direction. He's not. So, yeah, there's some sense to make of it if the Colts are playing it that way. And they just, they just haven't been. Greg Gregstraw joins us on Kevin Inquiry. Mark Dykton in for Kevin Bowen on 93.5-1075 The Fan. Greg, if you listen to Jim Irsay, Chris Ballard is going to be back as GM in 2023, which means he gets to put a stamp on another draft class, gets to make the franchise quarterback decision, possibly hand out some contract extensions. Has Chris Ballard done enough in your mind to earn another 
shot at GM for 2023 and beyond? I'm going to leave that up to Jim Irsay. Um, when when you look at, at, at six years and you've made the playoffs twice and won one playoff game, that leaves some things to be desired. And again, how the quarterback position has played out, I, I really don't fault Chris Ballard for that. I understand the logic behind every move they have made at the quarterback position. But I think it's fair to question him at this point. Let's put it that way. Greg, I, I've, I've always said this, and I don't blame Chris Ballard for this, actually. Um, I'm not saying I wouldn't probably be the same way. I can understand I can understand if Chris Ballard thought to himself, I'm not going to draft a quarterback because for one of two reasons. Number one, I'm not going to draft one just to draft one. If there's not a guy that I think can can play and win for me right now or you know two years from now, I'm not going to draft him. And number two, we all know that when you as a, and I've said this on this on these airways many times, when you're a general manager and you draft a franchise quarterback, the clock begins, and you and you basically ride, or you you either ride the tide or you sink in the boat with that quarterback. And I totally understand why you would hold that off and stay that as long as you can. So again, I, I, I just think it goes to this team has been in win-now mode for so long. It has been since the offseason after 2011 where there was even any inkling of a reboot or a rebuild or a relaunch. And even at that time, again, I vividly remember and always will. That was my first year of 2012 of doing the postgame show. So after not being around the team in training camp for two or three years, I was back at Anderson. It's not every day, at least a couple of times a week. I remember in one of, of, of Jim's impromptu off the golf cart press conferences when he was asked about you know his team's chances in 2012 coming off a two-win season with having not just Andrew Luck but a lot of other rookies playing key roles like T.Y. Hilton, Vic Ballard, Kobe Fleener, Dwayne Allen. It was almost an entire, you know, those guys and Reggie Wayne, man, that was your offense. It was a bunch of rookies. And Jim thought they were going to be a wild card team. And he was right. They went 11 and 5. They were a wild card team. But, like, you know, people in the, in the in reporters' core, you know, like, were openly laughing about the fact that Jim thought this could be a wild card team by the time they got to December. So it's just not in the mindset to potentially reboot or rebuild given the circumstances the Colts have had the last few years now you are at that point at 410 and 1 with two games left to go my concern too Greg I get it right so now you've set the clock back two or three years whatever it may be and we don't know I mean neither of us has a crystal ball but I have this this feeling and I'm biased. I, I totally admit. I will readily admit right now, 8.16 in the morning, Jake Query on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan admitted that his prism and assessing and evaluating Trevor Lawrence is skewed because he was a season ticket holder for Clemson when Trevor Lawrence was playing there, watched him play every snap in college, and Trevor was throwing to NFL receivers on Saturdays, right? I, I, I totally admit my bias there. But I feel like he's figured it out. The game has slowed down for him. Jacksonville's drafted defensively pretty well the last few years. They have a good young running back. And I feel like the Colts' problem now in the two- to three-year window reset is now they're going to be chasing a team that potentially can get a grip on the AFC South that they're not going to let go of for five or six years. What say you? And maybe, maybe I spend way too much time with coaches. I am to the point. Everything you said is factually accurate. Ever, but but the Colts have been so bad this year. I'm not thinking about the Titans. Not thinking about the Jaguars. Not thinking about the Texans. 
I'm thinking about the Indianapolis Colts. How does this team get better? Because what we saw this year was so far removed from what we thought this team was going to be, or frankly, even what they have been. I mean, you know, I rattled off the stat. Hey, it's going to be, you know, two playoff, you know, visits in six years. And we can talk about the weakness of the AFC South and the Colts haven't won it since 2014. But even in, you know, the every year other than 2017, where you didn't have Andrew Luck, it's Kobe Brissett's team from week two on, that was a four-win season, too. Other than that, you've been in contention for a playoff berth. You've been in contention for a division championship. Um, you waved bye-bye to contention for a division championship. In a division where the winner is likely going to be 8-9, and nine, you waved bye-bye to that at the end of October. And so right now, the focus can't be on the other teams in the division. The focus has to be on West 56th Street. Get that right, and everything else will take care of itself. That's well said, Greg. It's the end of the year. You're right. You've been around coaches a lot. (laughs) It's our last show of the year. Uh, Everybody's doing, you know, best moments, worst moments of the year, this and that. What is the high point of the Colts season and the lowest point of the Colts season? (laughs) The, See the if you can pick one. Was, the high point was the caliber of the preseason broadcast. That's you know, right. That, the, that guy knows what he's the doing. The high point comes at the end of the Houston game, Mark. When, it, when it's over? Yeah. Um, the, 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 the high point, sadly, would be the first one of the year because you whom you beat. Yeah. Beating the Kansas City Chiefs and, and getting to 1-1-1. One, one, and one. Obviously, team was briefly above 500 at 3-2-1 uh, contact uh, after week number six. It has all gone downhill since that time. Um, the high point would be that. The low point, take your pick of, of the New England Patriots or Monday Night Football when you go O for whatever on third down conversions and score three points. That that that's pretty low when something like that happens. Did you ever watch three two one contact, Greg? Was that around when you were I, a kid? I, 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 it, it was in my bailiwick. Yes, it was. It was in my era of PBS viewing on Channel Fifteen in Louisville as a kid. I, I think my mom three two one contact is no, that, the answer. I have no I idea what you guys that, are talking about. I can about. literally see the see the animation yeah. of the open as as you're singing that song. I, I think my mom like tried to coerce me on several occasions to become a, a regular viewer and it, it just i know this is going to sound crazy to you uh the math science shows never really connected with my brain you were more of an electric company type of fella is that what you were saying <laughs> I, when morgan freeman used to yell hey you guys i thought it was cool i you know i actually did you like gumby remember that there were like public television cartoons also gumby and then um they had their own little cart, Timothy something, Tennessee Tuxedo. Did you like him? Uh, that was I was more of a Captain Kangaroo. Yeah, um, that's cool. Ca- yeah, Mr. Green Jeans was cool. Sesame Street. You know, I, I think Guy Smiley's been a huge influence on my career, <laughs> so I tend to lean more more in his direction. Um, you know, if, if I if I go the non-public television, Woody Woodpecker. Was a yeah, Woody, Woody, Walter He's Lance, buddy. The Daily Cartoons. Yeah. And I'm not surprised that your mother, the educator, was trying to nudge you towards 321 contact. Is Woody then. Woodpecker still around? I mean, I know that, like, cartoons now, it's all on, like, the Cartoon Network or whatever. But the, do, the kids, like, you have kids, Greg. Mark, you have kids. Do they know who Woody Woodpecker is? No. No. Oh, he's fat. He's an instigator. He's fabulous. Because those, that, I, I believe the cartoons that I watched on Channel Forty One in Louisville back, they were from the forties. Oh, they're so, all like uh, you don't even realize until you watch it now. I mean, half of them are like World War Two political commentary. It's correct. Cra- I would assume. I would assume that those originally aired before feature films 
on like Saturday matinees and then were adapted for television soon after that. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think they tried to do a Woody Woodpecker movie like in the mid 2000, like 2017 or something like that. They did like the 3D really? redo and I heard it was terrible. Was that right after like the ladies man with Tim Meadows? Was yeah. that, that like the follow up to that? Probably. Okay. Tried to do like that and Scooby Doo and all that stuff. Like, look, kids, these guys are around too. Greg, are you still in Newcastle? I am not in Newcastle. I am back in Broad Ripple. I'll be making my way to Newcastle coming up here. I'll be uh, departing in about 25 minutes or so. Uh, and that's because it is still Hall of Fame classic, right? Correct. So yesterday was the was the girls' Hall of Fame classic, which Noblesville won in double overtime in beating uh, Bedford North Lawrence in a phenomenal game. Those two actually had played eight days earlier as Noblesville played in Bedford's holiday tournament. Noblesville won that game by ten, a little closer last night. If they meet for a third time, it would be in the girls' state championship on February the twenty fifth. Um, but no, today I'll have Northwood and North Davies at eleven, followed by Ben Davis and Penn, number one and number two in the state. Meeting the semifinals and then the consolation and championship games take place at 6 and 7.45. The morning session on Comcast 81, the evening session on my MDTV 23. Greg, in conclusion, Greg Rakestraw is our guest. In addition to, obviously, uh, the number of hats you wear, one of those does heavily involve in the game of soccer. Um, we talked pretty at length earlier about Pele and not only his influence on the game of soccer, but just in general uh, globally in being clearly the most recognized name in his lifetime within that sport. Um, you're around athletes. I, I realize that there would be very few, probably no, players playing today that saw Pele, obviously, that saw him play sure. in his prime. Um, but would you agree that at this point he is still probably, to those at the Indy 11 and elsewhere, one of the three to five most famous names that they would know, and I believe still globally the most famous name in soccer. No doubt about it. Uh, and he is he is the greatest of all time. Obviously, we engage in this conversation with Messi getting that World Cup win, you know, just a couple of weeks ago. But uh, it, it is it is Pelé that, that is, without doubt, the greatest player of all time, much as seemingly like any, you know, basketball discussion – stops with Michael Jordan. Generally in soccer, it, it, it's with Pelé as well. The only man to have won three World Cups uh, for Brazil. And I, if you're not under the age of 50, you don't know the impact that he had planting the flag for soccer in this country. Oh, with I the mean, North American Soccer League and the New York Cosmos. And, and as somebody that you know, had, had a chance to broadcast a lot of matches of the second iteration of the New York Cosmos in the NASL days with the you know, Indy 11, uh, and, and that is still one of the most iconic soccer brands globally. And how teams are built now, um, you know, the, the Chelsea's, Man U's, Liverpool's, Real, Barca's, Bayern Munich, et cetera, that was how the Cosmos were built. And if you look back at the guys that played for that team, the international stars of, of, of him, Giorgio Canalia, uh, Johan Cruyff, uh, Franz Beckenbauer, Carlos Alberto, that all played and, all, and, and for a brief period of time together with the Cosmos in the 70s and, and, and the crowds they drew at Giant Stadium and Yankee Stadium, et cetera. It's insane to think that then we went through this wilderness of not really having professional soccer in this country for about 10 to 15 years after that league folded in the early 80s. So, and that's what's been cool to see in this country. I'm sure maybe it's not as much in other countries, but when television stations have shown those highlights the last couple of days, They've often been in a New York Cosmos uniform, which which is really cool to see. I mean, Greg, 
maybe I'm going to overstate this. I'm a few years older than you, but not by much. In the mid, up until the mid 90s, well, probably when the World Cup came here in 94. So right. until that point, to the non soccer enthusiasts in the United States, he was the only soccer player that a lot of people could name. Right. But all of them could. Correct. I mean, that's. I did think it was interesting. I was flipping around this morning, uh, and um, the Today Show showed him acting in the movie Victory. The one that Sylvester Stallone was in. Um, I thought that was an interesting choice of highlights. But yes, <laughs> he, would, he he would be the only name that most that most fans can maybe back then a Diego Maradona because of the '86 World Cup being in Mexico. That World Cup was at least shown in part on NBC, like somewhat delayed in terms of Saturday and Sunday telecast. But your point is well made. It's like talking about Jim Brown's career and showing highlights of Towering Inferno. Exactly. Jim Brown, the greatest NFL running back of all time. Here's a movie he made after retiring at the age of 30. Here's a B movie that like 15,000 people saw. God, I saw Towering Inferno as a kid. I was like, my parents was like, what are you waking me watch right now? I'm, I'm sure the morning show producer of the Today Show has no idea that was a movie and not an actual match that she or he put on television to start their montage today at 7 a.m. That is beautiful. <laughs> I love it. Greg, appreciate you always hopping on with us. Happy New Year to you and the family, and we'll talk to you in 2023. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, Greg. What's happening on West 56th, presented by Shelby Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. We'll find out in 30 seconds. Do you want to work for a company who has your back? You can count on Shelby Materials. Shelby Materials has 10 ready-mix locations in central Indiana and is looking for Class B CDL drivers. Highlights include being home every night and every other weekend off during peak season. Shelby Materials stands behind its work, products, and people. We support our employees with competitive wages and benefits, including 401K, PTO, paid holidays, HSA, and a sign-on bonus. Learn more about your next opportunity by visiting shelbymaterials.com. Now, what's happening on West 56th? Brought to you by Shelby Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Nine o'clock hour in Indianapolis. For that matter, it's the nine o'clock hour everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. On a Friday, Jake Corey along with Mark Dykton, Kevin Bowen back on Monday. Joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, as you had just heard. Uh, Coming up later today, 6 o'clock, as a matter of fact, the Colts happy hour can be heard on this radio station. Then on Sunday, it will be the Colts and the New York Giants. The voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, joins us to talk about that. Matt, I'm going to begin by asking you this. We have two games left in this season. We know that obviously it is a year that has not gone the way that the Colts or their fans had anticipated. So in these last two games... Sometimes you get to a point where you start looking at players that might be seeing it as kind of a chance to really cement themselves as a long-term solution for the franchise. So almost like, and I hate to say it this way, Matt, almost like a preseason feel in the last two weeks. Give me a player or two that you're curious to see how they respond to perhaps a new challenge for them to grab a hold of something here down the home stretch. Hmm, good question. Um, I think the guys that immediately come to mind in that regard, be, primarily because of injuries and, and guys being out in front of them, and both of them are, uh, are on defense. I'm going to say Dio Dangbo on the defensive line 
and he's really coming on here these last couple of weeks. And Tyquan Lewis got injured, I think it was about seven weeks ago. And before Tyquan got injured, Dio was a part of that defensive line, but he was more of a rotational guy. Now he's more playing starter-like nap counts. I think in seven games since Tyquan's injury, he's averaging about 40 snaps a game. And in these last two games, he's really kind of feeling it, right, trying to get his confidence going. He's got three-and-a-half sacks in the last two. He had a career-high two against Minnesota. And you're starting to see him play like the Colts envisioned and like what they thought they were going to get out of him when they drafted him so high there in the second round out of Vanderbilt a couple years ago, even though he was coming off an injury in the offseason before he got drafted. And so they were really, really high on him. So I think his development and the injury to Taekwon, who's a free agent in the offseason, opening the door for him, that's really kind of helps his confidence. And the more that he plays, the better that he's getting and and more acclimated to the NFL he's becoming. Um, And then also in the back end, you know, with the injury to Kenny Moore and then Isaiah Rogers is going to go on IR or did go on IR this week, that's opening the door for Dallas Flowers. I don't know if he's going to start this weekend, but he's definitely going to play, and he has played on defense a lot these last two games on top of being a good kickoff return man on special teams. So those two guys are really benefiting from the circumstances in front of them these last two games or you know, heading towards the end of the season. And obviously both guys are young. I mean, Dio is a second-year guy. Flowers is a rookie. They're going to be here. They're going to be here barring anything weird happening in the offseason season. And it's it's good to see the Colts getting a, a good, hard look at those guys, both guys getting an extended run going into the offseason so the Colts can evaluate them and for their confidence to grow and their experience to grow towards 2023. Matt, how's Ashton Doolin doing? Obviously suffered a vicious hit on Monday night from Derwin James. How's he, how's he doing this week? Yeah, my understanding is he's still in the concussion protocol. And, uh, you know, when you're still in the concussion protocol on Thursday before a Sunday game, you know that's that's kind of the uh, that's that's a good barometer, a good gauge on you know kind of how you're trending. So um, based on what we know now, we'll find out in a couple hours from Jeff Saturday when he gives uh, the injury report going into the game, and we'll see if there's a designation for for Ashton. But my 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 gut feeling is that it it might be tough for him to get back on the field if he's still in the concussion protocol on Thursday going into a Sunday. Matt, if you were Let's say for the sake of argument that you bring somebody who does not follow the Colts and is not necessarily a huge football fan but follows sports, and you bring them to a practice in week five, and then you brought them to practice this week, and that's the only two practices the person has been able to see and they have not followed the team nor their results over the course of the year, would they see a difference? I don't think so. I mean – as far as this year's concerned, the only difference would be just, you know, who's running the practice. personnel, Obviously, right? Right. You know, person, well, personnel, but just in terms of there's a different head coach. So practice might look a little bit different in terms of, of structure and length and intensity and things like that. But um, no, you're, you're not going to see any difference in terms of, of guys moving swiftly from drill to drill, period to period, things like that. I mean, you're still going to see guys you know, busting their tail. Um, you're still going to see, you know, really, I think, high energy within the 11-on-11 periods. 
Um, so that's a really good question. I think that's that's um, the you know, the Colts should be commended for that because it, this hasn't been you know publicly anyways. It hasn't been the Denver Broncos where you got guys fighting on the sideline and 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 guys are pointing fingers and the quarterback is being accused of checking out and things like that. You know, this is I still think you know, a pretty tight locker room. Obviously, the results haven't been there this year, but you haven't seen the dissension, um, you know, that you might anticipate seeing with a 4-10-1 and and season. Um, and, you know, other teams that are in that boat, you know, I've kind of had those moments, and I think to the Colts' credit, they've sort of kept it together. And um, it's just been it's just been one of, those, one of those years. But in terms of practice and organization and, and preparation, you know, I think it would be – Hard to hard press to if you know if you're, if you're just coming from Mars like you said and you're in a time machine you go back to week five and you don't know anything about football and then you watch a practice today let's say you know you're still going to see basically the same things and I think uh, that that is to be you know f- to the Colts credit and, and unfortunately it's just you know all that work continues to be steady but they're just not getting those results on Sundays. In terms of and you touched on it there, Matt Taylor's our guest on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Um, just in terms of the the structure of practices, and I don't mean this in a, in a good or bad way for one way or the other, but I'm just curious. I think a lot of people are. How are things different from Frank Reich to Jeff Saturday? You know, in terms of the day to day operations, the way that the team, maybe they're not. I don't know, but just the calendar, the schedule, etc. Did we lose Matt? A second, but. Um, yeah, I don't really think it's it's really all that different. I mean, Jeff's obviously a player's coach, and he understands. I mean, Frank did this too, um, but he understands just sort of the rigors these guys go through, especially here late in the season when you're playing on different days of the week and different times, and you know you got the holidays sprinkled in there as well. So he's given guys the you know the appropriate time off, and he's going through instead of having a practice on Wednesday this week. You know, there was a walkthrough just to get guys, you know, back into the swing of things after playing late on Monday and, and taking a pounding, you know, in terms of your body, which you always do no matter, you know, when you play. But when you play so late in the week, if you will, in prime time on a Monday, give them, you know, a couple of extra hours or an extra day to, you know, get back into the swing of things and, uh, you know, you have an extra day to recover. So I, I just think it's little things like that. In, in terms of practice, you know, Jeff is going a little bit more – ones on ones, eleven on eleven, um, you know, one on one with with the top guys, the top skill players, right? Where you're going to see Michael Pittman Jr. in the regular season during practice go up against Stephon Gilmore. You know, you see that obviously a lot during training camp, but not so much um, in, in practice in the regular season under Frank Reich. You're, you're seeing a little bit more of those types of things uh, under Jeff Saturday, but for the most part, it's pretty similar, and it's just a different atmosphere. It's just a different you know, the voice and obviously Jeff's big thing is just holding guys accountable. Um, so I, I think it's been a change as far as that goes. But, you know, when you're one and five under the interim coach and the interim coach takes over in bad circumstances to begin with, um, it's just one of those years. And so everything's going to get looked at. Everything's going to get examined. And, you know, as you guys said, once the gun goes off against the Houston Texans next Sunday, that's going to start a very busy off season. And it's going to be an offseason full of major changes, starting with the head coach. And I fully expect, I mean, anytime you go 4-10-1 and one, and you miss the playoffs and you can't compete in this you know, bad AFC South, there's going to be a lot of roster turnover and 
it's going to be an eventful ride for the next four months leading into the draft. And kind of set up my next question with that. I, I'm just curious, what do you think like, the front office of the Colts is thinking last night when they're watching Thursday night football and the Titans are resting guys because they have you know a below 500 record, yeah. but week 18 they're facing the Texans and the division's on the line. That's got to just be like salt in the wound at this point, correct? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's we've been talking about it for a couple weeks now. It's It's a very sobering reality that um, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars are in the same boat. You know, they can potentially rest players this weekend because the AFC South championship game is next Sunday between the Jags and Titans, and it's winners, winner takes all. And, you know, the Colts are, you know, they've at that point, uh, next week they will have been mathematically eliminated for three weeks, you know, and potentially you're, you're going to have uh, an AFC South champion that's going to be under 500. The Titans have lost six in a row for the first time since 2015. And that still hasn't mattered, you know, for the Colts. And that's that's just incredibly frustrating. It's just been that type of season. Um, you know, obviously the offense has performed um, under every low expectation that anybody had for them fandom-wise. Um, yeah, it's just that that's that that's what makes this even worse is that the Colts are having a bad season, but the AFC South is so obtainable, and yet you know you're still. To, to use a bad analogy, you're still kind of a, uh, you know, a dot in the rearview mirror in the AFC South race. You know, it's funny, Matt. Well, not funny. Matt Taylor's our guest. I actually felt bad for you. I, I felt guilty towards you, truth be told, midweek because one of the players, one of the very few players outside of the Colts roster that you and I publicly on this airwave have talked about a mutual agreement on, redundant, is both of us have you know an admiration for the style of play of Derek Carr, and mm-hmm. here all of a sudden this week I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I, I put poor Matt in a position where he was talking about how he he respects the game of Derek Carr, and now all of a sudden Derek Carr's name is going to be catapulted into the forefront of Colts prognostication by fans and, and other people. I my thought is this, and I want your opinion on this. My thinking is that I think the world of Derek Carr, I've been very public about my respect for his game. And up until the fact that he's going to be away from his team, I thought he always appeared to be a really good leader. But I don't think the Colts are in a position um, where the best interest is to go after a veteran quarterback again. I, I, I just feel like it's time to reset it and start over with a guy that's going to be your quarterback for more than two to three seasons. Your thoughts? I completely agree with the Derek Carr aspect of things. I mean, this goes back a long time for me. I mean, this is like 2017 or 18, getting ready to to do one of his games. I'm thinking I'm getting ready to – I'm I'm, I'm preparing for him on paper and then seeing him on field. It's like, man, this guy can be my quarterback any time. And he's played with a bunch of different offensive coordinators, a a bunch of different head coaches. The defenses around him historically – with the Raiders have been awful. So he's having a bad season. There's no question about that. The Raiders are having a bad season. Josh McDaniels is having an uneven first year out there. All of that has, you know, it's a classic case of the quarterback gets more, uh, he gets more blame and he takes more, um, you know, he gets more credit than he deserves. As far as the Colts are concerned, yeah, they're in that situation that they've really been in since 2019. And, you know, you can, you can sum them up in two sentences, I think. And I've been saying this for a while as well. I mean, the Colts have been, they've been just competitive enough 
to not be in a position to draft a high-end rookie quarterback, right? When you make the playoffs or contend for the playoffs, you're going to pick in the, the 20s or the high teens, all right? So that's the first sentence. The other sentence is they've been just promising enough to justify looking for a plug-and-play veteran. So I think those two sentences sum, where the Colts, uh, sum up where the Colts have been since Andrew Luck's retirement prior to now. And I think when you're 4-10-1, you obviously have problems at quarterback, and that's front and center. You know, if you have a to-do list in the offseason for the Colts, is to get, you know, find that franchise quarterback of the future, whether that's an existing player with, through a trade or an acquisition or the draft or whatever. Um, you know, you got to get him in here. But when you're 4-10-1, and one, you've got bigger issues than just quarterback. And I think the two sentences that I gave you would allude that you're, you're sort of a quarterback away. I don't know that the Colts are a quarterback away any longer because, you know, I think some of their problems and some of their issues have popped up this year, you know, on top of quarterback that have contributed. Long-winded answer is, you know, I think it's been a team effort that has contributed to their record and missing the playoffs for the sixth time in eight years. He's the voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, joining Kevin and Query at 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. That's what I almost think could be a positive coming out of this season, Matt, is that the way the season has unfolded is it's shown those that are in charge that maybe the team wasn't as close as they originally thought, and they might cause them to do a little more uh, forward thinking or think think things differently the way they you know orchestrate the, the roster going forward and whatnot. Um, end of the year... Give me a high and give me a low of the Colts season. What was the high highest of highs for you and the lowest of lows? I know we got two games left, but I, I you know, what, where are you at there? Yeah, I mean, obviously the the, the comeback in Minnesota was a low. I've, I've never seen anything like that. It was honestly like sort of hectic to describe that in real time uh, with the chaos of the crowd and the stadium and just how loud it was. And you're looking up frantically between drives, just unfortunately, like what what would be the historical context of all of this if it does come to fruition, which it did. So that really sucked, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the high was the, the Kansas City win back in week number three. And then I'll give you another one. And we kind of talked about this earlier this week on our podcast on, on Colts.com. And this is going to sound cheesy and corny, but for me it was true. It was back before the season started in training camp, you know, there was a lot of optimism and expectations and hope surrounding this team. And it was a good time. And it was that, that first night practice at Grand Park you know, Saturday in August. And it was beautiful weather. It was like 85 degrees and like 7,000 people up there. And it was twilight. The sun was going down. And Matt Ryan and uh, Jonathan Taylor, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Jonathan Taylor addressed the crowd there and, and got everybody fired up. And I just go back to that moment sort of, you know, kind of in retrospect, like how did we get here? Was, was, was that, you know, being sort of the start of the season with such high hopes and energy and optimism and hope to where we are now with missing the playoffs and Matt Ryan's not even the quarterback right now and Jonathan Taylor's on injured reserve. Um, again, I just used the word sobering. I mean, that was, that was a high in the sense that it was a good memory and something to build on, and it just didn't come to fruition. So it, it was just that type of a season this year for the Colts. And I think one of the more disappointing campaigns, considering you had a good roster on paper, you had expectations, you had a winnable division, and you just came up short. Matt Taylor is going to have a heck of a weekend because not only is going to be 
calling the Colts and Giants game on Sunday. He's going to be ringing in the new year on Times Square with the naked cowboy, right? You're going to be down there <laughs> checking everything out? I wouldn't even know how to get to Times Square, to be honest with you. And I also had this feeling, you know, like there's, I don't know, Jake, maybe 10,000 people crammed into into Times Square on New Year's Eve. Where do those people go to the bathroom? Well, that's where, that's, what, I, that's that, what I'm saying. You talk to anybody that's been there, that's the one thing they say, right? Is like, I think the Fridays has a bathroom there, and it's like, okay, well, you know, that line started at four, I, you know. I, <laughs> yeah. I, a bunch of people in Depends. <laughs> that's it. Uh, so, I mean... It's kind of cool, but like the more I think about it, the the you know the 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 more I come to the conclusion, like it's really not for me. I don't have I don't have any desire to go chase that down. And plus, getting back, to, we're going to stay in like Jersey City, across in in in, in New Jersey. I, I don't know how to get back there. So like to me, like my middle name is No Hassle. You know, <laughs> like that's going to be buried on my tombstone. Matt No Hassle Taylor. So that is all hassle, in my opinion. So I don't think I'm going to mess with it. Yeah, my wife wants to do New Year's in New York one year, and I'm like, no, thank you. You want to do Christmas? Fine. But no way in hell am I going New Year's Eve in Times Square. No thank you. Hard pass. Yeah, yeah no no question. Yeah, I mean, I'll just watch it on TV, or I might just be watching a bowl game, or hell, I might even be asleep. Probably the third option, to be honest with you, because it's my, it's my last chance to sleep in a hotel room by myself without children. There you so go. It's like a, it's like a 10-hour reprieve for me, and I'll never say this in front of my wife, and I hope she's not listening, but I'm going to miss these road trips where I get a solid double-digit hour sleep and, uh, and feel pretty good the next day. And I, I feel bad saying that because she's wrangling two kids, but it is what it is, and I like it. Enjoy it while it lasts. I, I got news for you, Matt. I virtually guarantee you she ain't listening. <laughs> right. Hey, listen, I gotta, there's, she, doesn't, she doesn't listen to half the stuff I do, so I feel confident, too. Right. I got a she non-Colts does. question for you. How do you feel about Tucker Barnhart uh, rocking the Col- Cubs jersey the next couple of years? Yeah. Listen, Tucker Barnhart is an awesome, awesome dude. Great defensive catcher. I still remember in the uh, Reds playoff game against the Atlanta Braves when that game went to like 12 or 13 innings. Uh, Tucker Barnhart, unfortunately, left a lot of people in scoring position. So I'll just leave it at that. But mm-hmm. I love him as a guy. Great guy. I'm excited. I'm, I'm fine with it. I like it. Also, is the 20-year anniversary of Riverfront Stadium getting demolished? What's your uh, fondest memories from that? I saw the video of that. It was 2002. That video looks like it took place in 1976. I have a theory on that, Mark. That I'll crazy? get to it in a second. Yeah. Matt, what's your favorite Riverfront memory? Probably going to probably going to see Barry Larkin. Um, he was my favorite player growing up, and my dad was our little league coach growing up. And we, of course, had to play for the Reds, so we were the Reds growing up. And so my dad would take our little league team every summer, like in June, to a game at Riverfront Stadium, and he would hook it up. He would get our little league team name and all of our names up on the jumbotron. So, like, just those memories, like, waiting to see our names on the big screen. Like, that was the coolest thing in the world as a 9- and 10-year-old. Um, and just when you walked in, when you walked into Riverfront Stadium, the smell, um, you know, seeing the AstroTurf, right? I mean, that was just – that was the coolest thing in the world. And Barry Larkin was my favorite player. Um, remember fond memories of that 1999 team that got so close to the playoffs at that play-in game against the Mets and came up short. Um, so that that would be my fondest memory of going over to Cincinnati. And the middle of the summer is smoking hot right there on the river. You got the AstroTurf, which is not helping in terms of the heat. But great memories growing up watching baseball as a kid in, in uh, Cincinnati at Riverfront. 
Matt will be on the call with the Colts and the New York Giants coming up on Sunday. You can hear it right here on this radio station. Matt, happy new year to you. Appreciate the time. We'll talk to you next week, all right? All right, guys. Happy new year.